Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode where I'm continuing along our journey, deep diving into anxiety. And today I'm building on last time how we're talking about making our brain more resistant to anxiety today, specifically through mindfulness. Anxiety likes to trick us. I've talked about this before. It sucks us in and everyone else around us, whoever we can, you know, get into our little cults. It sucks us into this vortex of worry. And unfortunately, we go into default mode, that autopilot mode that I started talking about last time. And when we're in autopilot mode, our thinking brain is off, which means it can't keep the amygdala under any sort of control at all. No learning can happen. No rewiring the brain can happen. The amygdala has complete control over the brain. And so if we're in autopilot, that anxiety, it just gets stronger and stronger and it takes over everything. It takes over our memory and it makes the whole world seem so much scarier, especially if we already have a sensitive brain, because that amygdala is already so strong, it's always going to take over in any moment of big emotions, even excitement, but certainly upset and stress. We, we just can't think ourselves calm. There's nothing that we can do to try to think our amygdala to calm down. <laughs> it's just so strong. And half the time we're in autopilot, which is why last time I really talked about raising our awareness so that we weren't stuck in autopilotness because that's where we get into that vortex of anxiety. So we need to have that awareness to say, wait a second, I don't need to get sucked away with it. I can't think myself calm. The thoughts are still going to be there. The feelings are still going to be there, but we can still rewire our brain to rewire our brain that we have to be consciously aware of what's going on. So here's a great example. If you've ever eaten a bag of chips, I mentioned this last week as well, right? You've got a bag of chips. You're excited to eat your bag of chips. For me, it's a bowl of popcorn. I'm excited. I put chocolate chips in and some nibs and then I'm going to go watch a movie. And then all of a sudden, before I know it, my popcorn's gone. I'm like, who the heck is eating all my popcorn? Right. And, you know, realizing who it was me, I ate the whole thing and didn't get to enjoy it. I do that all the time, or I'll be eating something. I'll put it on the counter and I'll leave and come back thinking it should still be there. But the whole time I had been still eating it. Right. We just kind of mindlessly do that. So that there, there is a point and, and I think it becomes a problem and maybe you have an experience of this where you're just going to take one chip or one cookie. I'm actually not too bad for that. Popcorn is my nemesis or ice cream or peanut butter. I could finish a whole thing. I think we all have our thing cookie. I can eat one bite and put it back. But there is a point where we just keep eating and eating and eating until we finish everything. But before we finish that bag or that bowl or whatever it is, if we're an autopilot, we miss that signal to tell us to stop. We've had enough because our brain at one point will say, ah, oh, I've had it probably after one or two cookies really is <laughs> usually it. And even our taste buds, it's just the first couple of tastes that taste really good. But if we're an autopilot, we, we, we're, we miss that signal to say stop. Our brain, it's not picking up those cues to tell us to stop. It's not picking up the, oh, I'm getting sick piece, right? We might consciously think we should stop, but our old brain, it doesn't actually take in any of the evidence around to support that thought that we actually should stop. So trying to think it 
versus being able to pick up on the context cues are two different things. And so then the brain, it gets to a point, once it passes that point of, oh, you should really stop, this isn't good for me anymore. If you're not aware of that point, it goes to the other extreme of, I'm gonna vomit, I'm so sick. But by the time you're at that point, you miss that turn off switch point, the brain can't tell the difference anymore between yes, more chips, please. These are the best things ever. And no, please stop. Like I'm going to be sick. Please stop. The brain can't tell the difference. And so guess what? Even though you've passed that point, the brain still lights up thinking that you want more. And so that's why being mindful is so important. And that's why things like weight loss, billion dollar industry just doesn't seem to work because people don't have this mindfulness piece. And it's the exact same thing with anxiety. Our brain sucks us in the exact same way. So to be able to wake up our brain, we have to do that. That's going to be really important by waking up the brain. The reason why that's important is so that it can pick up the cues in the environment, AKA our body to tell us, whoa, there's that switch. We are done. We don't need any more. So that's the only way we're going to be able to teach and to rewire our brain is to recognize what's going on and to change our response in the first place in the moment of anxiety. So by being mindful, our autopilot mode starts to weaken. And that's our default mode in our brain is to go into autopilot. But when we're in autopilot, that's when we ruminate. That's when we anticipate future. That's when we worry. That's when we experience all of the stressful things without even realizing until it's too late. So when we do mindfulness, there's lots of research showing that mindfulness actually does quiet that default part of the brain. It weakens that part of that brain, that autopilot mode. So a key part of being mindful, it's dropping into our body. And that's what I focus on. And I started talking to you about that a little bit before, just awareness. One of the pieces of emotion is the physiological responses. I talked about that last week. Our stomach, I often tell kids this, our stomach is way smarter than our brain because we have billions more messengers there in our stomach to take messages from the environment about what's going on. And that includes, I mean, the things in our external world, but everything internally too. It's taking all of these messages from everywhere. And so our stomach actually knows before our cognitive thinking brain that something's going on. So being able to sit in our bodies, that's going to be really important. If we have any hope of being able to loosen, you know, some of that hold that the amygdala has got on our, our brain, we want to tame that old emotional part of the brain. So it's not so strong. So it might seem like we feel more stressed when we become more mindful because we're so much more aware of everything. And I know a lot of my older teens and young adults and older adults too, they're like, I'm very aware of what's going on in my body. And we feel more stressed because we're bringing so much more awareness to it. But when we sit with it, if we bring awareness to it, but still try to push it away, we're going to be caught in that trap. Right. And we're going to get caught in our head that we should be better and we shouldn't be feeling these things and blah, 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 on and on it goes. But when we sit with it, we realize this is actually normal. I know what's happening in my body because we've already done all of that pre-education. I know what's going on in my body. I know what's going on in my head. It's not actually that scary. And if we keep practicing that overwhelm of the, even a panic attack, that overwhelm never has a chance to pile up at all. And so we start to develop really tangible coping skills, 
but we can only do that if we're mindful of what's going on and we're aware of what's going on in the first place. So mindfulness for children is so important because it helps improve so many things. I mean, we're talking about anxiety, but it improves emotional intelligence and their emotional literacy, self-regulation, impulse control, attention, understanding their emotions, controlling their emotions, just being aware of themselves. So important. And yet so many kids, and especially my anxious kiddos have a hard time being in touch with their body and just being able to see the good things in life, because we miss all of the good things that are going on. When we're an autopilot, we miss everything that's going on around us. And then our amygdala is only going to pick up on the bad stuff, right? When we're mindful, we get out of that worried focus, whether it's worried focused of the past or worried focus about the future by being here in the now. And I love the analogy of, you know, if you're in really thick fog, for example, or smoke, but fog is a great one where you just can't see anything in front of you, right? Or behind, doesn't matter which direction you turn, you can't see anything. But if you shine a flashlight down onto the ground, there's a little bit of a clearing and that's the now. That's where we need to be because the present moment in that little shadow or that little area of light where the flashlight's shining, that's not where anxiety lives. Anxiety lives in that fog all around us, in that autopilot becomes stronger and it just kind of feeds on us in that autopilot. So to become effective in managing anxiety, at the end of the day, we have to rewire the brain to be less anxious. That's a key. But to be able to rewire the brain, we have to be aware and we have to be mindful. So practicing mindfulness literally changes the brain. And especially the amygdala, that's the anxiety, emotional part of the brain. It also changes the prefrontal cortex, which helps with concentration and decision-making and awareness and being able to interpret the environment accurately, rationally, by regularly practicing mindfulness, we calm that amygdala down. And so our tendency to fall into default mode is weakened right? That's where we, again, we get stuck in the anxiety loop of rumination and freaking out. And so that part of the brain is calmed and the prefrontal cortex, when that part's calm, the prefrontal cortex can start doing its job of saying, Hey, amygdala, this really isn't a big deal. I don't need to overreact. It's not a big deal. It's okay. I can try again or I, you know, whatever. So they're, they're just not as reactive. Kids aren't so reactive and they learn to have more and more control over their emotional responses. Now, mindfulness, it's not meditation. It's not relaxation. It's not a strategy like that. We're just relaxed that that's the goal. It's not stopping our thoughts. It's not distracting ourselves. It's none of those things. You know, we need our thoughts. We're never going to rid our mind of thoughts. That's not the point. And I think a lot of people, especially they go come to meditation and they, or even mindfulness, oftentimes they confuse the two, but they think they need to clear their mind of thoughts. No, that's impossible. Just like when I say, don't think of a white bear, whatever you do, don't think of a white bear, that white bear is going to come up. So it's not about that. It's about changing our relationship to our thoughts and feelings, changing our response to anxiety when it shows up. That's what mindfulness is. Mindfulness, it's a way of life that we do every day. We don't have to do anything different. We don't have to do a sitting meditation. It's just as we go through our day, dropping into the body, even now, as you're listening to me, just check in with yourself, feel the heaviness of your body in the chair, just feel the weight of your hands wherever they're resting. Even now I can feel, you know, my vocal cords as I'm talking, I can feel the the back of my chair just under my shoulder blades. 
Um, so just noticing your body in space, you're still listening to me, you're still doing whatever it is that you're doing, but getting into your body. And so kids, the more we can do that, but the better it's going to be just checking in with ourselves throughout the day, see how we're feeling, checking in with our body, any body sensations, noticing our emotions and feelings if you want, but that's tricky, especially for kids. So just paying attention to your body. And, and even being present when you're doing other things through your day, like every time you wash your hands, maybe that's every time that's your intention. Every time you wash your hands, you're just going to notice the water and the soap on your hands as you wash them. Noticing every time I sit down in a chair, I'm just going to feel my body in the chair for about two seconds. Anytime I sit down, I'm going to do that. Set an intention for the day. And if you're doing it with kids and creating an intention with kiddos, the more they practice that, it could just be every time they sit down at their desk, for example. So when we practice this regularly, kids can learn to pause and check in with their body before reacting. And then when they've got that space before they react, they can start responding in a more thoughtful way. But they need to practice it first. We can't expect them. We can't tell them the skill and expect them to be able to implement it. They need to be practicing over and over and over again. So finding that time for now, every day for the, you know, the next, next week, next two weeks, every time you sit down or every time you wash your hands or every time you open a door, just pay attention to your body. And you could be even more specific. You know, if you're holding a door for someone, every time you do that, just pay attention to your feet, feeling your feet in your shoes on the ground. Just being aware helps break that problematic anxiety loop. We spend 50% of our life in autopilot. That's a problem because that's when our amygdala takes over and that's when we get stressed. And when we're in autopilot, our brain, especially our prefrontal cortex, that's the part of the brain that's supposed to say, whoa, 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 amygdala, hold on. Don't freak out. You're making a big deal out of this. It's not a big deal. That prefrontal cortex, it misses so much out on the situation and the context around us. And it's not telling us, you know, giving us all those clues to say this isn't a big deal. So that's the problem, right? And so then when the amygdala triggers, that alarm gets set off, we're off guard and, and our prefrontal cortex is off guard and it just has no information to be able to say, is this emergency? No, no, I don't think this is an emergency because it was an autopilot. It wasn't paying attention. Amygdala took over, kind of blindfolded it. And now all of a sudden it's being startled. And when it's startled, it's like, <gasps> must be an emergency. So that's why mindfulness really helps us wake up during those autopilot moments to be able to get those details that are so important, not to get so startled and to overreact all the time. It's just being able to, I'm grounded. There's that startle alarm, but I can see what the real situation is here. They make those just trying to play some tricks on us, right? So mindfulness is really just about making sure our brain's getting the right information in the first place to be able to do its job. Really, that's at the end of the day, what we need to do. So to be able to see anxiety for what it is and to get out of that stuckness and to see the amygdala as the trickster part of the brain as it is. So we got to get into the habit of body scanning regularly. Ideally, you want to do it at the same time every day. It's a great way to start the day and to end the day. So as you get out of bed or even before you sit up, just being able to do a quick body scan as you're waking up. And then as you go to sleep, doing a quick body scan, and that's going to cue your brain to say, Hey, Oh, we're doing a body scan time to go to sleep. Um, 
focus on transitioning times can be really helpful. So before going to school, maybe coming home, a little ritual coming home after school before going to sleep. Um, if you're a teacher doing something just to settle your kids into the class, a little ritual, mindfulness moment ritual. If you and your kids, whether they're your own children or kids you work with in your practice or in your classroom, it's just easier in the heat of a stressful moment to draw from that already learned skill if they are practicing many times throughout the day. And so that's why we want to look for many times throughout the day. And it can be, you know, consistent within routines, which is helpful to build in. But like I said, even if you pick one thing, every time you open a door, really feel how heavy that door is in your hand, how much, you know, how long it takes you to pull it open. What muscles do you need to pull it open? Just something like that can be helpful. There's lots of ways to be mindful. I mean, those are just a few examples. There's no right or wrong. The key really is to bring yourself into direct experience with whatever you're doing. So it can be a formal practice. If you want it to be just having a formal first thing in the morning, little mindful meditation sort of practice, that's fine, but just being present with everyday sort of tasks. So really it's about experimenting what's going to work for kiddos. I always say creating is the root of all happiness because really we're so mindful when we're creating right? So whether we're drawing or coloring, we kind of get into this repetitive pattern. It's very calming and we're very aware of what it is that we're doing. So that can be really helpful. Any repetitive action really helps calm the amygdala, even just chewing gum. Um, you know, you see so many sports uh, coaches who are in the sidelines just chewing away madly on their gum. That actually helps calm the amygdala, the repetitive motion, rolling coins, anything like that. Um, my daughter actually used to spend hours sorting the rain, you know, those little rainbow loom elastics. She would just spend hours sorting them into colors. I would think that that would be pretty boring, but she found it very calming. So practicing throughout the day, I mean, ideally, if you could find at least three times through the day, that can be really helpful for kiddos. Again, focusing on transitioning, you know, that could be helpful. There's lots of ways. So it's just about experimenting. Um, it could be even just noting what's going on in your environment. And I talked about this before, hearing. So I can hear the buzz of my computer. Seeing, I see a light. Seeing, I see a little turtle thing feeling, I can feel the back of my shoulder. So it's just labeling whatever's coming into the direct experience. It really doesn't matter. There's so many different things. Um, it could be just breathing into your body, noticing where does your breath expand, right? Um, or just focusing on your hands as you're doing something. It's really just a matter of experimenting with what's going to work for you, for your kids, for your classroom, whatever it is that you're, you're working with kids on all of this is just looking to see what works for them. Cause what works for one kiddo or what works for you might not work for everyone, but I do think creating can be really helpful. Um, I do have a lot more things that I, um, go into in terms of mindfulness, lots of ideas just around body scans, um, smiling with their eyes wide. Just do that. Now I talked last time about how if we have our eyes wide. It just brings in information. We get curious. I can't personally can't not smile if I keep my eyes wide. So just doing that and seeing what happens, what does it feel like? I can feel my eyebrows 
going up. I can feel that tension in my forehead, but I can see so much more. Maybe things look a little bit more vivid. So just smiling with your eyes. Wow. What changes in your body? Um, dropping into your feet. All of those things can be really helpful. I do go into a lot more in my anxiety compass mastering training program, and I'll leave a few ideas in the show notes as well, but I'll leave it here for today. Um, if, like I said, if you want to dig a little bit deeper with me into this, I do have my program. We can hop onto a call and we can chat about it. Um, feel free to email me too, if you have any questions, but I will leave it there for today. Go and help those anxious kiddos be bold and courageous. And I will see you next week.